Hi, and welcome to the final part of Strutt and Parker's Be Inspired podcast series. Today, we're going to be drawing upon market data and our experiences on the ground as we review the changes seen this year. We'll also be looking to the future and what might happen next year. Today's experts include Vanessa Hale, Head of Residential Insight and Research. Hi, James. Hello again, Vanessa. And Louis Harding, Head of London Residential. Hi, James. Good to be back. Good to have you back, Louis both of whom joined us in our first episode. We're also joined today by Guy Robinson, Head of Residential. Hi, James. Thank you for having me. A pleasure, Guy. So let's kick off with a look at the stats for the year. As they say, that where we have been can help understand where we might be going. So, Vanessa, could you let us know what's happened in the year of our Lord 2020? Oh, my goodness. How do I start with, you know, the the reality is, uh, obviously, we've had lockdown 1.0 and lockdown 2.0. And in the mix of that, we've had some activity across the UK. Normally around this time, so we're middle of November right now, we would have about half a million transactions reported. And so far this year, taking everything into account, we've had just over 300,000. So not bad, really, considering like I said, majority of, of the second quarter of the calendar year, we were in lockdown. Specifically in prime central London, we also on average see a kind of quarterly transaction of about 600 homes being converted. And we had just under 500 for Q3. So we've really seen a, a significant recovery compared to Q2, where we only saw about half of those transactions. I think with everything going on in the world with Brexit negotiations ongoing and U.S. presidential elections, U.K. unemployment currently at just under 5%, just equates to about 1.6 million people. We've got a lot of things going on and some of the different, I suppose, housing impacts that have also happened from the furlough uh, scheme that the chancellor announced, which helps with that unemployment figure, approximately two and a half million people are currently on a, on some form of the furlough scheme at the moment, and that was extended to March of next year, end of March next year. We've had the freeze on property transaction taxes, so the SDLT, the LBTT, the LTT, which are currently due to expire at the end of March next year. We also have people being able to take advantage of a payment break on their mortgages, which was due to end in October and again was extended on the 1st of November for an additional six months. So that takes you to the end of April next year. So there's been really quite a few things going on that have helped to, I think, keep the, the fire in the belly as far as people wanting to move besides perhaps the the actual just reality of, of living in homes during lockdown that maybe aren't suitable for them. So there's been quite a few things going on to keep the market really quite active. Yeah, it sounds like the government's done a few things. Just a few. <laughs> Just a few. Guy and Louis, how has this macro view played out in the market? As your as our sort of eyes and ears on the ground, what have you seen? I can sort of tell you what we've found from a London perspective, and Guy can probably touch more on what's happening on a regional level. And I think we even in our most optimistic mindset, couldn't have expected the market to rebound as quickly as it did after the first lockdown. I think we all expected an initial release of pent-up demand, transferring to really strong activity in the market, but it has continued throughout the entire year. And I think what I've noticed from an outsider looking in as a comparison between regions and London is that the regions have probably 
disproportionately had really strong momentum over almost that entire time. Whereas London has probably been a little bit more stop-start. We've had two, three, four good weeks on the bounce and then a couple of quieter weeks, which make you quite nervous as someone working in it day in, day out. And then it goes again. I think we were affected quite a lot when, as a nation, we were able to travel in the summer because the summer weeks were, were quite quiet in London. I think almost the relief of just being able to get on a plane or get out of the country really motivated people to do so. And I think the lack of international travel has had a, a much higher significance on the London market than the regional market. But overall, the activity levels have been incredibly strong. The sales of homes in, in the 5 million plus bracket has been incredibly strong, particularly in the third quarter. And those things would suggest actually that confidence in the London market remains pretty strong. Yeah, I can echo that. I mean, I have the so I have the privilege of looking after or looking over the whole shooting match for Thrutton Barker and Louie and I speak daily. And the country obviously is a very enormous marketplace. And I think, you know, Louis absolutely spot on that the country outside London has performed a greater level of activity. We've seen a greater level of activity since lockdown. You know, no one could have predicted what we saw on the ground happen. At first, we thought it was pent up emotion. You've been locked uh, for two or three months and the transaction has sort of come to a halt and this is playing catch up. But then it was pretty clear after a few months, it wasn't the case. It was people were playing catch up. The government was trying to stimulate the economy and at the same time, the housing market with stamp duty incentives. And at the same time, people obviously realised that they looked at themselves through lockdown, through work, through their external, what was going on in their own personal lives. And priorities have shifted and lifestyle changes were being sought. And the market for us at Struts has continued. Even last week, our numbers last week tracked them on a weekly basis, activity, viewing numbers, applicant numbers, sale numbers. You can imagine, you know, estate agents of, of our size would do that. And we see a, a activity greater than any time in the last six uh, years at this time. So as much as our teams at the ground are saying that, it's getting a bit quieter, Guy. The reality is it's it might be quieter, which relative to the summer period, but it's uh, higher than this time last year and the year before. And so I think there has been a big shift in people's priorities and their lifestyle decisions. And what we're also seeing is, it's a, it's a subtle thing really, that the type of properties we're selling are a little bit more expensive than the ones we were selling. That doesn't mean to say prices have you know, shot through the roof, I mean, there has been a, a little pressure on prices upwards because of this activity. But what we have seen is that because people are looking to potentially work from home, more space, you know, the extra room, two people living, working at home together in a flat or a small house, they are looking for something a little bit bigger. So properties outside towns where you get a little bit more for your money have been in greater demand. So the town market versus the country market, not just London versus country, towns in the country and the outside space, and you've seen that reflected as well. A slightly bigger house often is a little bit more money than a slightly smaller house. So whatever price scale you're on, whether it's 200 to 2 million, the reality is the more space usually means the house price is a little bit higher. So we've, we've been transacting properties of more, of more value. I think this here to stay for a while, 
sure you all ask those sort of questions, but the country has seen unprecedented numbers. So we have been very busy. I think more space is inevitably a good thing, both for a sort of socially and a mental perspective. What kind of impact do you think that's a craving for greater space, more outdoors will have on just to spitball in the air, so to speak, in terms of some new build developments, in terms of developers' ideas of what they might produce in the future? Sounds like we've had a profound change in the market's preferences. I think we have. I mean, the market, it's only been one year since the Second World War, we've built enough houses. So the pressure on price and demand is always upwards. Demand invariably, depending on the economic cycle you're in within that year or that part of that year. The reality is there's always an ongoing pressure to build more houses, satisfy demand, which we never seem to do. You know, we are a small island with lots of planning laws and people live longer. They have more properties. They, yeah. The whole thing creates this pent up demand and uh, builders have to, developers have to react quickly. And so the the plan for lovely big open plan kitchens and family rooms all connect, all open and everything, but that's not very conducive if two people are trying to work from home. And, and of course, people we probably think aren't always going to go back to work in the, as, as the way they did in the past. So there will be a lot more home working going forward and developers will have to react. Uh, if I could jump in on that as well, I think, as Guy said, with technology, we've all had this major experiment for, I shouldn't say we all, but a, a large portion of us have had this experience and experiment of working from home and, and shown that there is quite a few advantages to it. And, and I, I do know from having conversations with some of the major house builders already, they are looking to address how they deliver those multi-purpose rooms or more dedicated office space and and also just having access to more green space and being able to facilitate perhaps more of those local amenities that really came to the forefront, I think, during lockdown, whether it was access to the, I, I live in London, so the corner shop, but being able to pop in and get milk and bread and butter and the staples without dare I say, toilet paper, and, and ultimately being able to, to access those things in, a, in an easy fashion. So I think they're, they're looking not just at the physical home themselves, but the, with the wider community, those local amenities, which I think is also really important. Absolutely. And Louis, have you seen anything from developers this year or next year? I think it's probably too early to tell, but I think what will be quite interesting is that there has been a relatively recent new shift towards quite large communal areas in developments, whether it's for breakout space for working or just generally to try and make them more of a collective social environment. And it would be quite interesting to see how buyers react to that given the world that we currently live in. I would hope that actually people will have short memories to a certain extent. And actually once we're back in a world where we have a vaccine that things will return to relative normality but but it will be interesting to see how the trends that we've seen come to the forefront over the last year or two will change as developments now start to become mature and start to sell very good i'm just going to go back to something all of you have mentioned and i've heard a lot in the past few weeks about how this uptick in demand especially for say you know larger homes and countryside versus town debate was expected as a sort of a reaction to lockdown, but has now turned into more of a long-term trend. Do any of you dare hazard a guess as to why that might be? I think from where I sit, that's a certain. That's definitely a certain demographic within the markets. I think we have a 
societal preference that's coming to the forefront that we perhaps haven't seen in the past. I think there are still many people who, and anyone can listen to the first podcast when I mentioned, you know, there, there are still people that will intend and desire to still live in a true city center and or dare I say it, we may see a return of the suburbs. Rule of thumb is it takes 30 days to embed a, a new habit. And we've a lot of us have been going on this change of work habit for a lot longer. And so I think that that is having probably, in my opinion, the biggest impact. And as Louis just mentioned, from an environmental side, there's at the moment, there's seemingly three major COVID-19 vaccines in the running, which are all positive and I think everyone's really excited for and looking forward to having that as being something that will help us in the long run. We also have the track and trace programs and the asymptomatic ones. And, and I think those are all going to put more confidence back into the marketplace so that people will feel safe and comfortable to be able to mix and not have to think about social distancing. And I'm going to say the short term. Louis thinks everyone's going to rush back to the city, don't you, Louis? I actually think that the whole working from home thing, I still think the jury's out on that. And not because it's based on any data or any facts, but just anecdotally, I speak to a lot of people a day, whether it's colleagues, whether it's contacts in the business, whether it's ex-colleagues, friends. I've definitely noticed a change of... I guess, attitude or perception towards working from home. I think when it first happened, everyone, and I think we probably did as a nation, I think we did a really good job of convincing ourselves that A, it's great, B, we are as productive as we were in the office, and probably C, this is the future. But I've definitely noticed over the last two or three months, and probably more so with younger people, that this they sort of had enough of it and they really miss the interaction and they really miss being in the office and that definitely wasn't the mindset of people even four five six months ago now of course everyone wants a better balance in an ideal world people would probably mix it up throughout a week but i'm still very much of the opinion that the jury is out as to whether this is going to mean that we're going to have more people working from home than not over the next period of time Louis and I often banter between, well, and Vanessa as well, and Kate Eels, who's been on your podcast, James. We work as a very tight-knit group and we have strong opinions about what's going on with societal change and, and markets. And this is playing out in all sorts of ways. And Louis is actually spot on. The first bit was, OK, this is the new norm, as everyone keeps calling it, but we're now calling it the new chapter. There is certainly a, a groundswell that are now thinking, actually, life wasn't that bad in the uh, communal office environment. And I suspect we'll end up with a blend and we'll have some that will never want to go back and some that will only want to go back and then a mixture of between the two. It's probably what it's done is accelerated natural change that would have happened over a longer period of time. And that's what really happens when you get these great big bumps in the road. It forces the change which would have inevitably happened over time. And when you're older like me, you can see these changes coming that have happened over 30 years. And this has probably accelerated it and it would have happened in a different way with change if a lot of people do migrate out of towns and they and the shops don't cater for the commuter as much or the restaurants or the bars the cafes then end up catering for more people who will live and work in that environment instead of commuting to it so the blend will happen as well but it's a very very interesting moving feast and will continue to move next year we're not out we haven't finished this yet
Indeed. And don't mind me saying as, as a young person, and I obviously only represent one young person, and what I'm about to say will probably overinflate Louis's ego, so apologies in advance. But I do agree with what he has to say in that my case specifically, the first lockdown was like, oh, look at this, isn't this fun? I work in my sweatpants and this is terrific. But now, it, yeah, now it feels I miss all my friends in the office and I actually... Totally. And there's a certain mental switch that you tick when you get on the train and fine you know getting on the train isn't the most fun you'll ever have on a day-to-day basis but you do sit there and say to yourself right okay i'm going to work for the next eight hours and that's a lot trickier to do i totally agree yeah well for older people like me jane you see who i've spent my life in the city of london and commuting from windsor on it to five days a week and it does grind you down in the end as you get older but actually it gives you a bit of a new lease of life and who should I bump into head office yesterday? But I bumped into Louis Harding. Bet that put you off the office for a while. <laughs> if there was an internal meeting, he was more effective by being there. <laughs> so it's probably continued my longevity for a bit longer, having a blend. <laughs> <laughs> Very good. Well, that's the sort of past wrapped up. So who's ready to gaze into the crystal ball and try and predict the future? Vanessa, I think the last time we spoke, you suggested that with all of these tax breaks and various bits and pieces that have stimulated the market in the past year, unfortunately, there are a few bills coming through next year. Is that still the case? And obviously, we're at a very specific uh, point in time. We're, we're mid-November recording this, so things can change rather quickly. I know that the Chancellor is due to speak next week. The reality is, is 2020 is going to be a better year, I think, than any of us anticipated. I think 0% for both UK and for Prime Central London would be a great outcome. We are suggesting the UK might get closer to 5%, but personally, I think we'll probably remain closer to that zero. But we are really genuinely facing, I think, many headwinds for for next year. As As I alluded to at the beginning, there's lots of different incentives that are currently at play that are due to end the beginning of next year, or at least by end of Q1. I didn't even mention the fact we also have the help to buy equity loan scheme ending. Yes, there's going to be the new help to buy scheme coming in, but that will only be available to first time buyers. There's a lot of conversations on the table at the moment around the commissioned review that the Chancellor did around capital gains tax, which could have implications for for those that are perhaps buy to let property owners or second homeowners or just general investors. So there's really quite a lot of speculation happening on that at the moment. So I think there's really, there's quite a few headwinds for... 2021 year from my standpoint as a, as the research person at this conversation. But ultimately, I would also say that we do have a real positive outlook for our five-year forecasts. You know, ultimately, the UK markets anywhere from kind of 7 to 33%, depending on how things play out over the next few years. And to actually be able to say, looking five years ahead, we're looking at positive growth, I think is is a real positive for everyone that's looking to move home because let's be honest if you're moving and buying a house i don't think you're just buying a house to to see a an uplift in in value on paper you know you're buying a home for a, probably a variety of other reasons as we've talked about that sounds very sensible guy louis would you agree with that yes to a certain extent i think next year clearly is very unpredictable and there are a lot of barriers for us to get over and i think some of the things that vanessa talked about will undoubtedly have an impact. I think conversely, though, some of them will also be a call to action for people to really 
get going over the next three or four months before there are the changes that she talks about. There's also the additional percentages coming in for foreign purchases. And I think actually what that will do is it will probably create two or three lanes of traffic in the property market next year where this year, almost across the board, the news and the momentum has been almost completely positive. I think we'll probably see different lanes next year in terms of what's going to happen. And my view is that I think prime central London, I'm, I'm actually very optimistic about, if I'm being honest. I think it's still on an international basis or a world stage looks relatively good value. And I use the phrase good value with caution because Prime Central London is obviously a very expensive place to buy property. But compared to other mature cities in the world, it does actually still represent good value. And I think we also need to remind ourselves that prices in PCL are still circa 20% down on what they were in 2014. In US dollar terms, we're down by about 40 odd percent. And I think that will also create a call to action for buyers who want to make the most of the ability to trade in those conditions. And I also think that we're also dealing with a client base of sellers that have no real motivation to not sell unless it's at a price that works for them. Because we've also just got to remember that we're we're coming off the back of a really tricky three or four year market. It's not like 2007 going into the credit crunch where prices were incredibly high and volumes were incredibly high. It's a very different set of circumstances. And I think Brexit obviously will have a big impact depending on the outcome of that. But I think next year, I don't think prices will do much either way. And I think then the outlook actually is, is is pretty positive up to that sort of five, six, seven year period. Well, you'll be interested to know, James, that uh, all three of us and uh, Katie, also, you know, had a bet going after COVID, uh, what was going to happen by Christmas. And I think Vanessa's still in the driving seat that's going to win the best, which is lunch at, uh, if we're allowed to, at one of my favourite pubs, which I think I'm the loser going to have to pay. So what I say, take with a pinch of salt, even though I've probably got more years on both my colleagues. I think if you if you look at all the research houses, including ourselves, when we came out of COVID in the first lockdown, we all predicted extremely low volume numbers. And we've seen the complete opposite. And Vanessa, I'm sure will can quantify this, but in any year that I've ever seen, we have anything up to 1.2 million transactions in a normal year. And in terrible, terrible years, in the 30 years I've been doing this, peaks and troughs and the big recessions that you see in these property cycles, you can get down to six or seven hundred thousand. So it always tells that the market that half the market has to move and the other half the market wants to move. And um, we just most learned um, research houses felt after the lockdown that half the market would sit on their hands to watch and wait. But it clearly didn't. The half, the other the half of the market had to move and the other half actually wanted to move for lifestyle reasons and and more space and things like that, which we have seen. It's now well documented. And, and I think generally that will continue on next year. I don't think if you're a, a family or you're a person and you want a bit more space and your lifestyle, your work, your commute to work or your change in work practices or whatever it might be that your personal circumstances, I think even if you say to yourself, well, I, that I, I need something that looks different to I live in, to do that between oh, you know, the summer and Christmas of this year, you might have said, well, I'll do it next year. Well, I'll wait to see what Brexit does and I'll wait to see what happens there. So I think you've still got a whole lot of people sitting on their hands watching and waiting, and you've seen a lot of people try and transact. 
uh, and uh, price is a, is a product of supply and demand. I am predicting that the, there will be a pretty strong demand for change movement still next year. And I think that will bolster up the prices. I think you'll take some of the heat will come out of this when we satisfy demand and the Brexit bit and the stamp duty bit, uh, as uh, Louis and, and Vanessa very eloquently said. But I think the market's always been driven by confidence and desire to change. And I think that will still be there. So I'm I'm predicting we're still going to be in an active market. And if it's an active market, you will see stability, if not edging forward on price. Yeah, I, I think the other thing as well is that it, it's very easy to get bogged down with the numbers, isn't it? I think it's very easy to just get your head into an absolute spiral about whether it's inflation or interest rates or changes in tax and all these bits and pieces. And I think we've also got to remember that in most cases, people are buying a home and there are lots of other drivers that will bring people to the conclusion of whether to do it or not. And of course, the market conditions is a huge factor. If someone thinks that they can get something better or similar for less in six months time, then they're probably very unlikely to buy it now. But I think we are a nation that in so many cases have had their lives on hold for the last three or four years. What's happened this year has just frankly just been another disruption off the back of three or four years of just forever talk about Brexit and people have just had their life on hold. And I think they frankly just had enough of it. And certainly the people that I'm speaking to, they are not absolutely convinced that the prices will go up over the next 12 months. And they, in some cases, think that they might even drop a little bit, but they can offset that by justifying it to themselves that interest rates are low. Prices in my part of the world, as I say, are still relatively good value to what they have been over the last period of time. But there's also that human element of, I just want to get on with my life. And the final thing on this is that most people now move, I don't know, every seven, eight, nine years. And I think most people looking to make a commitment over the next 12 months probably couldn't say for certainty that after 12 months, it'll be worth more than what they paid for it. But of course, all of them can say with absolute certainty that the next time they're likely to sell it, if indeed they ever will, it will be worth significant. So of course, the numbers are important. And and I don't want anyone to think that I don't take all of these factors into account because they are going to have big impacts on us and as a result, big impacts on people's behavior. But I think we also need to remember that we're also dealing with a very tangible investment class and there are lots of other factors that go into people making that decision than just the numbers as i've always said vanessa is that something you would agree with there is also i think there's a little i feel like and and maybe it is the past couple of weeks of some of the different news headlines that have come out for a variety of different things but there seems to be definitely this I, i guess this tone of optimism and i think as guy alluded to with you know us looking to the next chapter i think next year i'm famously seemingly getting known for talking about all the things that are coming to an end and then seemingly someone next week will say something that will completely undo some sort of political stance on stamp duty for example i I definitely said that the chancellor would never do it and then he did it. So it's not to be said verbatim. We we don't have that crystal ball to truly say what will happen tomorrow. But I think there is a sense of optimism that seems to be returning to just 
everybody and whether or not that's wishful thinking I, I can't say for certain but I do think fundamentally 2021 bring it on next chapter totally agree from an old sage if anyone's listening to the podcast and thinking should I move next year or should I not and and money is one of the drivers of will the house is will I buy something and it will fall in price or go up and as Louis said it's a home we're not predicting it's a rocket forward or rocket down it's probably stable but relatively secure and it probably helps you to take that part of the decision it's enough decisions to make when you buy a house uh, I can assure you and, and things that hurdles to get over so that shouldn't be for 2021 one of the things that um, puts a break on it because we don't we don't see that so uh, if you if the house is the what you want and that you found what you do want to buy then you know, move on and win it. Not so. Don't hang back. I I totally agree. I think for the vast majority of people, home ownership is still an aspiration. It's something that people want to achieve in their life. I don't know anyone that's bought a property that regrets it, and I don't know anyone that doesn't own a property that doesn't want to own a property. And I totally agree with what Vanessa was saying. I think you can definitely feel that there is more optimism, despite all the uncertainty that still lies ahead. I think the talk of the vaccine, although it's still very unclear timeframes, and although it's still a lot of work to be done, I think what that has given people is that there actually is an end in sight, whether that's Q1, whether that's Q2, or even you know it later into the summer. I think people can see that the end is in sight. And certainly what we're finding in London is that it's the 20th of November today. It's a Friday. And we've just had a, another really, really busy week and not just a really busy week from transacting on the things that are already under offer. But I mean, from a, a new business perspective, people still going out and wanting to secure something before the end of the year. And I think a big part of that busyness still until the end of the year will be because I think some buyers will see this now as a closing window of opportunity to secure something before we have more certainty. And whenever there's certainty, whether it's political certainty, for us certainty now around the COVID crisis, certainty around Brexit, it always tends to have a positive impact on the market. Our market is driven by confidence. It's always the confidence and, and there's improved confidence so that will keep the market going. Very good. I think the last year has shown us that in the UK there's such resilience in the housing market that if it can bounce back almost as quickly as it has, considering everything that's got on, there's a certain amount of comfort in that. I think we will draw a line under it there if everyone's happy. And I hope you've enjoyed today's lively debate. There's certainly been a variety of views on where the market will take us next year. So many thanks to Guy. Cheerio. Thank you very much for having me, James. Absolute pleasure, Guy. Many thanks to Vanessa. Thanks, James. It's been lots of fun. It's been brilliant. And many thanks to Louis. Pleasure. Thanks for your help. We hope you've enjoyed the variety of topics we've discussed over the last few weeks. And you can listen back anytime if you missed one. Whatever the next chapter may be, we remain confident Strutton Parker will be offering support and services to all those moving in the near future.